Hello, my name is Abigail Walker, and I want you to know that it makes me so happy to worship and to pray and to now read God's word together with you today. Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and read from verses 4 through 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's very varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Abigail. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy Brooks. I'm one of the staff elders at our church, and it's an honor to, to preach the word today. Um, Today we're talking about a very simple message. I think from the Bible we can see that God wants his people to be hospitable to each other. And I, I do have a special gift for the 1030 service because I forgot to mention it in the 9 o'clock. We have a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Really helpful book on the topic of hospitality. So. I'm letting you know about it. Um, so hopefully some of you guys get that. Uh, it's really helpful. But when we look at the Bible, I think what we see is that when we are hospitable amongst one another, it actually overflows in this hospitality to the world around us. But, you know, what does that, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? Why is it so important? I think these are good questions. It can be hard to define hospitality. Um, recently, our family, we've been reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, with our oldest daughter, Emerson, who's four years old. And as I've been thinking about hospitality, this little section stood out to me. I'm going to read an excerpt. Here we are, Mrs. Beaver, said Mr. Beaver. I found them. Here are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And they all went into their house. And you can think how good the new caught fish smelled while they were frying, and how the hungry children longed for them to be done, and how very much hungrier still they had become before Mr. Beaver said, now we're nearly ready. And in a few minutes, everyone was drawing up their stools and preparing to enjoy themselves. There was a jug of creamy milk for the children, and a great big lump of deep yellow butter in the middle of the table from which everyone took as much as he wanted to go with his potatoes. And when they had finished the fish, Mrs. Beaver brought out unexpectedly out of the oven a great and gloriously sticky marmalade roll, steaming hot, and at the same time moved the kettle onto the fire so that when they had finished the marmalade roll, the tea was made and ready to be poured out and each person had got his or her cup of tea 
and shoved back his or her stool so as to be able to lean against the wall and give a long sigh of contentment. And now, says Mr. Beaver, pushing away his empty beer mug, if you'll just wait till I've got my pipe lit up and going nicely, now we can get to business. I don't quite know what a marmalade roll is, but it sounds really good. What comes to your mind when you hear the term hospitality? I think we intuitively associate certain objects, settings, ideas, good homemade food, maybe marmalade rolls, a nice house, parties, lots of people around the dinner table, outgoing personalities. So when we come across a passage in scripture like verse 9, show hospitality to each other, I think we intuitively apply some of those ideas to that command. Well, this part of the Narnia story, I think, resonates, though, with what Scripture calls hospitality. You see, this wasn't simply a dinner party, which are not sinful. Dinner parties are great. But these children, they were lost in the woods. They were in the middle of the cold winter. They were hungry. They were needy. And they were on a mission of sorts to help a friend who was in danger. But they needed, they needed support. They needed encouragement. And they needed direction for their mission. So what the Beaver family did was less like a, a dinner invitation and more like welcoming them into a home-shaped hospital. They were serving the children. They provided reprieve in a place of, of enrichment and in refreshment and warmth, light in the midst of this cold, dark world. Not only you know, were they serving these needy children, but they recognized them with a kind of dignity. They recognized their likeness with the true rulers of Narnia, sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, heirs to the throne. And so in this sense, the beavers obviously seemed honored to host them and encourage them. Care, provision, welcoming and honoring strangers as bearers of God's image, restoration, aid on mission. Are these the kinds of ideas that come into your mind when you hear the word hospitality? The welcoming kind of home-shaped hospital, I think, is a biblical image for true hospitality with Jesus, the great physician, at the center. God cares a lot about hospitality, actually. Throughout scripture, there's so many commands to be hospitable to one another, love one another, and there's stories of hospitality, and God's honoring those stories of, of Rahab who welcomed the spies and, and so many other stories that God is pleased with. Hospitable is even listed as a qualification for elders in the church who are supposed to be this example of the normal, the basic, the regular, faithful Christian life to the whole church. You can even see hospitality in the gospel message itself. And thus, it is essential for us as Christians to pursue this in our life together, which is uh, the series that we're continuing this morning, our Life Together series. So let's dive in uh, to our section of Peter's letter to the people of God to see why and how we should pursue hospitality. 
We're mostly going to look at verses 7 and 11, which I think they all connect uh, to really till the soil for a truly hospitable church. The first, or the three points are the power for hospitality, the perspective for practicing hospitality, and the priority in hospitality. So number one, the power for hospitality. If you read all of Peter's letter, what you'll see is that Christians are starting to be criticized and discouraged from all sorts of trials that the culture is uh, throwing at them for their faith in Jesus. And so Peter's trying to encourage them to endure like lights in a dark world. But how does he encourage them? What source does he point them to? Verse 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Therefore, be sober-minded and prayerful and love one another and be hospitable. Why? Because the end is at hand. The end is near. You know, this kind of reminds me of what it's like to motivate a high school senior at the end of senior year when they have senioritis uh, to, to persevere and to keep on doing what they've been doing. But seniors aren't particularly motivated at the end of the year uh, to persevere. That's when they slack off. So this seems like a questionable strategy for Peter to be motivating the church towards godliness. Everything's going to end soon, so just hang in there, be godly. That is not what's happening here. Peter is actually doing something very powerful, which really we should talk about more. He's meditating on the return of Jesus. When was the last time you thought about Jesus' return? At least not just in a conceptual way, but like how does that actually affect your life? Does that matter? Meditating on Christ's return it's not like a senioritis situation. It's like running a race. And when you're running the race, you get a glimpse of the finish line. And if any of you have run a 5K or you did track, you know that when you get a glimpse of that finish line, you run harder than you've ran the entire race. You give it everything that you have to get there. And Peter is reminding the church of this very reality. So how? How does meditating on Christ's return motivate and empower us, particularly towards hospitality? Well, first of all, thinking about his return reminds us of his finished work, the work that he has already done. The end is at hand because a lot of Christ's work is finished. In Peter's own words, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He himself bore our sins in, our bo in his body on the tree. There's no greater sacrifice that needs to be paid. There's no greater achievement that needs to be earned. The forgiving work and the achieving work for us is done. Jesus has already done it. Every single one of our sins was laid on him, the sinless one. And that's really good because we all have a very deep problem. There is something inherent to our nature, to who we are, 
that prevents us from actually being agents of hospitality and healing in the world. It's our sin. It is our rebellion, our willful rebellion against our holy creator God. So the deepest pride, the deepest arrogance and lust, hatred, deceptiveness, selfishness, either deep hidden in our hearts or that's been shamefully exposed in one way or another, Jesus willfully took that upon himself. Why? To offer us real forgiveness for it and to offer us real acceptance before God. But not only did he die, as Peter says, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus rose from the dead, defeated death. And this is really, really good news because it is through his resurrection that we have any hope that salvation and forgiveness are real. It's through his resurrection that we have any hope that change also is even possible. As Peter said at the beginning of his letter, according to God's great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So how are we born again? How do we receive this new life? It's not by anything that you or I can do. It's by God's gracious power through a living hope, the resurrected Jesus. I am not telling you that you, <coughs> excuse me, need to be a new and better person. I'm telling you, look to Christ because in him is where the power is. We in response to his power, in his glory, in the work that he has done, we simply repent of the sin as God has revealed to us. And we, by faith, trust in the work of Jesus that he has done. And so in his death and resurrection, Jesus has brought us to God, but in his return, Jesus is bringing God to earth. He is restoring this whole planet to be a place of eternal life. And we need to meditate on this because the reality is we will bear our own sin apart from Christ. Sin is either dealt with on the cross or in his perfect final judgment. And that is good news, but it is also a warning. Trust him today if you haven't. But if you have a desire to repent of your sin and to follow Jesus, as Peter said, you know why? It's because his word is in your heart. He has given you a new nature. Jesus bore our sins so that, as verse 24 in chapter 2 says, that we might die to sin, but live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, we have been resurrected and healed by the hospitality of Jesus. We have been welcomed in by him. And this is good news. He did that in spite of our sin, in spite of knowing how sinful we are. And so in the gospel, what we see is a true picture of hospitality. Self-sacrificial welcoming of sinners to heal and restore 
for the glory of God. Jesus invites us in, and in his welcoming, he brings us new life. And through his hospitality, he actually sends us. He sends us out with the same hospitable nature that he has, because the Holy Spirit's in you now. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live in ways that are totally contrary to how you would have ever lived before. We're free now to live for what pleases God and not for ourselves. So first, meditating on the return of Christ reminds us God has powerfully done a work in you, empowered for hospitality. But meditating on his return, it also awakens us to actually live out this new nature. It shifts our perspective. It helps us to see life in light of his coming kingdom. And that will shape our hospitality, which leads to point number two, the perspective for practicing hospitality. Picking back up in verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. This description, be self-controlled, sober-minded, it is totally in contrast with chapter 4, verse 3, which describes how these Christians used to live, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Peter summarizes all these things as merely human passions in contrast to the will of God. As born-again people, you know, we're new. We're, we're citizens of a new kingdom. And so he's calling us not to be you know, driven by the same passions that we used to be driven by, the same priorities that we used to be driven by. He's calling us live, live in light of this coming kingdom. Gloria Furman, she's a great author, and she once said that she wants to care today what she's going to care about 40 million years from now. I think that's a great perspective. Everything should be oriented around God's will and his kingdom, where we live, what we do, how we work, how we parent, how we spend our free time, how we invest in our relationships, how we view other people. We should have this new sobriety, this new clarity and perspective. I love the line um, in a song that we sing sometimes called, How Rich a Treasure we possess, which captures this idea. <coughs> Excuse me. The sum of all created things is worthless in compare, for our inheritance is him whose praise angels declare. You see, Christian hospitality requires that you see your life through this kingdom lens, like a magnifying glass that's magnifying the glory of Jesus, not the lens of our own selfishness. But this is not easy, right? <laughs> because everything and everyone is telling you what should be a priority in your life. <laughs> Rising to a certain level of leadership in your company, making a certain amount of money, having a certain reputation amongst this group of people or this group of people. So from a worldly perspective, you know, relationships, our relationships with one another are primarily tools for our own advantage or, or pleasure. But this is all human passion. If we continue to see our life that way, it is going to totally distort 
any sort of attempt at hospitality. It's going to distort the clarity and the prayerfulness and the love that we need to have. Hospitality, it demands actually laying down ourselves for those who don't have anything to offer us in return. It's welcoming those who are different than us. It's generously giving up time and money. And we might say, yeah, I want to be hospitable. I would like to be known as being hospitable. But hospitality, it it demands a repentance, actually. It It demands repentance from seeing other human beings that way. We should see them as image bearers of the eternal king with dignity. We must have this perspective. And so we need to consider what sort of sin is preventing you from seeing humans, seeing one another as image bearers? What sort of worldly enjoyments or temptations is distracting you from regular hospitality? Peter gives three practical outworkings of what it actually looks like to live in light of Christ's coming kingdom. Devotion to prayer, ongoing and forgiving love, and hospitality without grumbling. And each of these really shapes our practice of hospitality towards each other. So first, devotion to prayer. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. There's no greater indicator that we are living for human passions than prayerlessness. Now, this can be subtle, but if you have no time at all in your day to come before the Lord in prayer, you're either distracted and unconcerned with the people that God has put in front of you, or there is something more significant and more important than having the ear of the God who created you, who loved to send Jesus to die for you. You have the ear of this God, and and he wants to hear from you. He actually loves you. So there must be something more important. But there's also no greater way to refocus our perspective on what matters to God than to be committed to prayer. Like a tuned violin, you know, it's, it's ready. It's ready to be picked up. It's ready to contribute to the orchestra. It's ready to contribute to the performance. When we are prayerful for one another, we are tuned towards hospitality. We're ready to help. We're ready to serve. We want to be in each other's lives. And we'll see each other and others the way that God sees us. I believe so strongly that if we want to be a hospitable people, it has to start with prayer for each other. So today, we actually have this special tool. It's very exciting. It's called a membership directory. And it's a list of names <laughs> um, of people who've covenanted together in this church. And it says where you live, you know, which parish you're in. So you can take this and it's also Bible-sized. You know, you put it in your Bible. And it's, it's at the forefront now of your prayer life for each other. I, I wanted us to do this because I need this. I confess prayerlessness. I need to be more prayerful for you. And this is a great tool to help us do that. 
For some of us, this is the most important step that we can take in growing in hospitality. But in addition to prayer, Peter says that living in light of God's coming kingdom should lead to an ongoing and forgiving love for one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. If prayer is like tuning the instrument, preparing us for hospitality, love, it's this fundamental note that we are going to keep playing over and over and over again. Without that note, the whole performance will fall apart. It's, it's, it's the tone of everything. Without ongoing love for one another, hospitality is either going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be superficial and self-promoting. It's not actually concerned about others. Or it's just simply going to die. It's going to cease to exist. And why is this? Well, it's because as we start to really know one another and spend time with one another and welcome one another, what's going to happen? We're going to bother each other. <laughs> We're going to offend each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're even going to intentionally sin against each other. But living in light of God's coming kingdom, it recognizes that we are not totally sinless yet. <laughs> Just as Jesus did for us. He, we, we are welcoming people who still sin into our lives. And others are welcoming you who still sin into their life. But what has Jesus done? God demonstrates his love for us, not by us stopping sinning, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His hospitality towards us looks like also an ongoing and forgiving love, overlooking a multitude of offenses and forgiving repentant sin. This love that Peter's talking about most practically does look like active forgiveness. When, when we're people who, who know this love, who know this forgiveness that the Lord has shown us, we're going to be quick to forgive each other to overlook minor offenses that we will inevitably do. But unforgiveness and bitterness will destroy a culture of hospitality in a church. And our sin will just drive us further and further apart, even if it doesn't look like it on the surface. Eventually, it will. But love will enable us to endure it will enable us to continue to welcome each other in spite of our sin. And it'll help us to grow. We'll be able to speak the truth and love to each other. Persisting, forgiving love is essential for hospitality. But lastly, Peter says that living in light of the coming kingdom should lead to hospitality without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling grumbling. Verse 9. Now briefly, I do want to just look at the word hospitality for a second. Literally, it's an adjective. Loves strangers. <laughs> Loves strangers to one another, which is saying like, be hospitable. Hospitality is this overflow of love. 
And the way that you really know that hospitality exists is when we're strangers to one another, do we welcome? Are there people that you don't know in our church that you just ignore and are content to ignore? We're all limited in how many relationships we can have. You know, I can't, there's more people in our church than there are days of the year. So we can't take each other to coffee, every single one of us. Take multiple years to do that. <laughs> um, but we should have this spirit of openness, this welcome amongst brothers and sisters who've been covenanted together and have received the same covenant from Jesus. There should be easy pathways for people to belong and to know each other. But it seems the main emphasis in verse 9 is actually about the attitude that we have while being hospitable. When we actually start to do this, there's an attitude that we need to have. The reality is, when we start to open up our lives regularly, it's going to cost more money. It's going to cost more of our time. We're going to see each other's sin more clearly. And it, at times it's going to be thankless. People will take advantage of you sometimes and even reject you no matter how much hospitality that you've shown them. The temptation will come quickly to complain about them or to complain about other things. You know, the kind of house we have. I would be more hospitable if I had an extra bedroom. I would be more hospitable if my job were different and I had more money. Or the personality that we have. I would be more hospitable if I was an extrovert, if I loved to be, if I was energized by people. But grumbling is essentially saying to God, why'd you do this? Why'd you put me in church with that person? Why, why did you make me this way? Why'd you give me this life? This was a bad idea, God. It's interesting that Peter uses the word grumbling. It echoes back to another time when God's people grumbled. Exodus 16, verses 2 through 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people, people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You see, grumbling, it's essentially longing for Egypt. It's doubting God's goodness and where he's brought you. It's longing to be back in the slavery that he freed you from, the slavery of selfishness, of focusing on ourselves and our glory and not the glory of God and what he's doing. Hospitality focuses our attention on others and on Christ, which is difficult when sin still remains in our hearts because we aren't in the promised land yet. Jesus hasn't come back yet. But just like Israel in the wilderness, we need to realize we are dependent on the Lord to get us there. He will bring us to the promised land. He did graciously free us from our slavery by taking it on himself. 
he didn't complain or grumble in doing that. It was for the joy set before him that he died in our place. And so by his grace, he's going to continue to free us from our pride, from our arrogance, and from our hunger for our own name to be lifted up and glorified. But the way that he's going to do that is through our own very acts of hospitality towards each other. As we are tempted to grumble and complain, it's an opportunity to confess our sin, our selfishness. Who's sufficient for these things? <laughs> I am just as guilty as anyone of grumbling, of lacking love and forgiveness, of prayerlessness. But the glory of God in hospitality is that the healing and the restoration that happens through it, it's a two-way street always. Sometimes we're playing the role of guest. Sometimes we're playing the role of host. But we're always ministering to each other. The Lord is using that to grow us and to change us. He's ordained these trials for our good. Which leads to my final point. The priority in hospitality. What should we then be focused on? What should we be thinking about? How do we live this out practically? I think that verse 10 is so helpful in 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, I know that many of us wish Peter gave some very specific instructions on how we should practice hospitality. And it's less, as we've seen, exactly about what we do, but more about who we are loving and how we are loving them. And remember, the gospel gives us this definition, self-sacrificial welcoming of sinners to heal and to restore for the glory of God. Or as Romans 15, 7 puts it, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So my final point is that our priority, according to this passage, is that we should focus on the grace of God and the glory of God. We shouldn't primarily focus on our houses or on meals. We should focus on his grace. But, but what does that mean? It's actually really practical. Because what verse 10 is saying is that we've each been given a variety of gifts to use. We've each been given all kinds of things. We have different kinds of jobs. We have different types of talents and abilities. We all probably have a house, I would assume. We have space. We have tables. We have food. We have all of these things. And what we should do is we should recognize that, that we're stewards of these things. We are stewards of everything that is in front of you. When you go home, just like look at your house and look at your calendar and, and just look at your week and think about who could I bring into this? Look at your lunch breaks. Who can I take to coffee? Who can I take to lunch? It's all a stewardship to serve one another. And I want to encourage you that it's ultimately then not about what kind of house that you have. It's not ultimately about 
what kind of personality that you have. All that we know is that the one that you do have, God gave you to use. And so that's what we should do. And there's so much freedom in that. It actually uh, protects us, I think, from trying to gain more so that we can finally be hospitable. It counteracts our false ideas of what it looks like to be hospitable. And that's a dangerous path because sometimes we can get excited about this. Yes, I want to be hospitable. I want to have my life open to others. But sometimes we're just excited about others praising us for how hospitable that we are. We can have self-promotion in mind and ultimately not glorify God in this. But when we, when we just recognize humbly the limitation that God has given you, you live in this place, on this street, with this job, you have this many kids, you've got this dinner table. When you just lean into that and say, Lord, I want to use this, he will be glorified. And you won't do it for yourself. You'll do it for the person who's sitting there. And you'll be ministered to. And you'll minister to them. It'll fight loneliness in our church. It'll fight discouragement. It'll fight sin. This is so important for us to live out. And at the end of the day, the essence of what we're talking about is actually just living out church membership. <laughs> Belonging to a body of believers and committing to each other's lives is what that is. That's called hospitality. And when we do, as Peter says in verse 11, in everything, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. God is pleased and his glory is going to be made known to the watching world as these forgiven sinners come together and they welcome each other. They love each other as different as we are. So may this kind of hospitality be true of us. That's what I'm going to pray for right now. And as that gets manifested, I believe that it's going to overflow into our city and save the lost through the hospitality of Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is. Lord, in this, this time of prayer, um, I pray that you would help us to, to imagine our lives. Imagine the things, the possessions that you have given us, the time that you have given us. Help us to reflect what is preventing me from being hospitable. What ideas do I have, Lord, that are just wrong? What am I neglecting to use? Lord, help me to trust you in that. Help each of us to trust you with that. To say that you've given me this gift to serve. Lord, we need your help in that. And I pray, Lord, that in the next year, in the next five years, our church would grow and grow to welcome one another. Lord, I pray that you would manifest this gospel reality amongst our church. And help us right now even as we be, 
as we're about to take the supper that you've given us to meditate on your hospitality towards us, the love that you've shown us, the welcoming that you've shown us. And may our hearts praise you and respond in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.